0: hello everyone welcome to the contemplating christian uh today we have a awesome episode we're really excited about we're going to be talking about mostly going to be talking about this book by carl truman called the rise and triumph of the modern self Mm -hmm. it's super popular book it's considered you know one of the best books of this kind of this generation in terms of pinpointing where we're at as a culture and we're going to be kind of drawing from some articles that kind of summarize it. It's a big book. It's like 400 pages, and it's really dense. It's a dense read. And so think of this as sort of an introductory or a summary that kind of gets you into some of the main ideas of the book, sort of the cliff notes, you could say, because uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful book to read if you want to know where we're at as a culture. And really, the central guiding question is, if we think about today, the statement I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body. That statement. I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body. If you had said that 200 years ago, everybody would have just looked at you with a blank stare. There there would have been no, like that would have been a completely incoherent thing to say. But now today, that's a statement that's taken very, very seriously. Um, when someone says that, that is treated with utmost seriousness in culture. Uh, the phrase "I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body." So, how did we get here? And really, uh, Carl Truman wants to trace the whole story of how we got here as a culture. What 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 cultural shifts have taken place? What ideological or philosophical things have have happened or changed to make it so that that's a coherent st- uh, sentence? That's a mm-hmm. coherent statement that people base their lives on. Um, yeah, how yeah. how have we gotten to this point? So, Samuel. Mm-hmm. any thoughts
1: yeah we can we can do this um <clears throat> in an illustrative way so the story rip van winkle if you've heard about it awesome if you haven't uh it's basically uh, i believe it's by washington irving mm-hmm. and he writes about this guy who falls asleep and he accidentally falls asleep for i believe 20 years and um then he wakes up and he goes back to his town and Everything is just completely different. He doesn't know how to act. People make fun of him he's uh, he he also looks just much different than everyone else because twenty years have gone by, and it's basically just a shock like how like how did this happen? yeah and so that could be analogous for Christians today. so like uh, like will said, two hundred years ago, if you said anything like what's being said today, people would have thought you're crazy. But today is taken seriously. And especially, especially over the past, we could say just 20 years. Um, Mm -hmm. so since the, since the two thousands, things have just escalated so fast and so quickly and things have just gotten out of hand. Like Christians used to be known to be good. Now mm-hmm. now suddenly Christians are just horrible and yeah. and bad and, and oppressive and racist and sexist and all this other stuff. And it took a very, very quick switch. And if someone wasn't paying attention over over years, of like let's say someone went to like uh, went to a third world country for 20 years and didn't really have access to internet or anything like that. And then came back; it would be a shock to Mm -hmm. to them, right? So,
0: right. And and the idea is that we can sometimes think that wow, just the last few years have been super crazy. Everything's just gotten, from a Christian perspective, the world seems like it's turned upside down just within the last like five years. Even five years ago, transgenderism wasn't as much of a phenomenon as it is today. Um, Ten years ago, certainly not. I mean, in two thousand eight, like Barack Obama. (laughs) <laughs> ran with the principle of traditional marriage. <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton <laughs> ran with the principle of traditional marriage as like a as this like a, one of her positions, and so things have radically changed since then. Obviously, uh, so how have things shifted so much? And sometimes we can have sort of a sort of a nearsighted vision of how that's happened. Karl Truman makes the point that actually this kind of floodgate that has been opened up recently is the result of many, many, many little things kind of uh, breaking away at the dam of sanity mm-hmm. for like the last 400 years. And so yeah. it's been a long, been a long time coming. And a lot of these things have have had their roots in different ideologies for a long time. And so the book kind of traces the history of how that's happened. And you can think of it in, in terms of the self, how has the self or our vision of the self changed in those 400 years or so Um, and could think of it in three points and we'll go through each of these two and basically the modern self has become internalized or psychologized you can think of it in that way the self has become psychologized the self has become sexualized and the self has become politicized think of those as sort of guiding principles for the the rest of the conversation everything we're going to say kind of bits underneath that to some extent how the self or the modern view of the self has shifted or changed
1: yeah and and for this there uh, there is some biblical grounding and preliminary stuff that we want to go over quickly um mm-hmm. so the biblical background uh on this we don't mean like what is the biblical foundation of this whole movement what we're talking about is um what does the bible say about what's happening and so we can point to Uh, multiple areas, so like Ephesians or Romans, especially Romans, beginning of Romans, uh, Romans 1 Mm -hmm. and 2, where God gives people up to their desires. A lot of people actually think today, specifically Christians, that America is, that's happening to America right now. Our hearts are hardened. We're being given up to our desires. God is kind of just like saying, hey, go do your thing now because you obviously don't want me. And that's like a punishment of some kind. So we're given over to ourselves. And so that's, uh, I'd say that's the biblical kind of background or explanation of what's happening. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It really is that the case that sexual vice, particularly. So sexual liberty is basically a cancer to reason. It's a cancer to the intellect uh, more than really anything else. Being enslaved mm-hmm. to sexual passion erodes your ability to think clearly. And as a society, when that, you know, zooms out to everybody in a society having no control of their sexual passion and being completely driven by that, our ability to think as a society has gone out the window. So that's what is described in these biblical passages. So we got Ephesians 4, 18 and 19 says they are darkened, talking about uh, the non-believing world. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay. Wherever, if you're a Christian or not, you could, you can understand where the Christian is coming from when he makes that statement, um, that our culture seems to be like that. We're at least driven by our sexual passion. You might think that's a good thing. You might be an atheist and think that's great. Um, but certainly it's just seems self-evident that that's where we're at as a culture. Our Romans 1 talks about the same thing, how God gives them up to their sexual desires and how they become futile in their understanding or futile in their thinking. So there's this relation between sexual vice and being enslaved to sexual passion and you becoming darkened in your understanding or your mind's becoming futile. There's that biblical Mm -hmm. connection there even.
1: Which is why we can
0: basically just believe in like nonsense contradictory statements today that don't make any Mm -hmm. sense. (laughs) It's yeah. all kind of encompassed in our sexual vice.
1: Yeah. And the people that aren't darkened or, or, and are what we would say enlightened, they would just be like, this is insanity. Uh, and right. the people that are darkened would just be like, no, it's not. And they would uh, they'd probably use uh, an emotive or emotional response to that, not an intellectual response. But um, yeah, so <clears throat> great point, And thank you for reading the passage right there. Uh, the the preliminaries now. Uh, Mm. He just wants us to know a couple terms that are important for this entire book. Two things. Um, I think it's mimesis and poesis. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Um, Mimesis is basically there's an order to everything. That's one view of it. And then the term poesis is kind of just the opposite as in like everything is potential matter. That can just be created to so kind of think of like i mean it's connected to the idea of poetry and that mm-hmm. word but it's obviously we can put poetry in a separate category but it's kind of just this idea of i can take what i am right now and kind of morph it and shape it into whatever i want Yeah, and express it however i want it's that expressivism right, right there
0: right yeah. yeah mimesis says there's a objective world outside me that if my inner desires don't line up with the objective world and how it runs and functions, I need to conform my inner desires to that. And then poesis is the opposite. It's saying that whatever reality is outside doesn't matter. My inner self, my inner desires make reality what it is. Mm -hmm. Reality can be whatever I want (laughs) to use the Thanos meme. Uh, Reality can be whatever I want (laughs) it to be. And so I will, Everything else must conform to my inner desires and to illustrate this to go back to our initial question uh, to answer that question 200 years ago, if somebody had said "I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body a hundred years ago 50 years ago 30 years ago, the medical professional would say, okay there's a psychological problem involved here. We need to conform your inner self to the objectivity of reality, which is that you're not. Uh, a man. You're a woman. Mm -hmm. Um, Today, the medical professional will now reply as if it's a prescription drug. Ah, you just need to be a woman now. We'll just prescribe you to be a woman now. That's just a decision that you can make. Uh, Maybe I just need to do a couple surgeries or you need to start taking XYZ things and you can suddenly Mm. just become a woman. It's almost like it's a prescription or a mask that you can put on. That's how superficial our understanding of womanhood is. It's yeah, not, it's just something that you could just choose to become.
1: And Jordan Peterson actually talks about this. Jordan Peterson says uh he became a therapist to help people, basically. And mm-hmm. he didn't do it to affirm people because today therapists are affirming. You go into therapy to be affirmed. You you have an idea of what you are, and then you go in and tell them about it. And what you want from them is to say, okay, I agree with you. Let's Let's make it how you want. Mm Jordan Peterson says that's not why he became a therapist. He became a therapist because when people come to you, something is wrong with them and they want your help to fix it, not to affirm them. You don't affirm the problem. You fix the problem.
0: Right. It's ultimately, it's ultimately despair, like utter hopelessness to tell somebody who's coming to you for help, to tell them you have all the resources within you. You just need to find you just need to find it within uh the, the prop the the, the south the salvation or the solution to your problem is simply within you just yeah. need to find it within yourself um, that's ultimately a helplessness that results
1: yeah, yeah. and then uh <clears throat> before we get into everything you uh, kind of said we were gonna gonna get into there is one more preliminary and it's just letting letting you know that There are three types of worlds in in this context. We have to describe those. So one, uh, number one is pagan and mythological. Those were much earlier in time. So all those mythologies were thousands of years ago. All right. Now, in a sense, those still function in a similar way to religion. As in there still is a sacred, not sacred, a sacred. Okay. So there's still like something transcendent and beyond you yeah the second type of world is religious, so that's a little bit more It's like a system of belief um a lot of them uh obviously have scriptures and traditions and certain things they do, and there's definitely a sacred there, so it's basically taking that pagan and mythological element to the next level of mm-hmm. of reality I would say, yeah and then the third one just goes in the opposite direction, and this is the more modern types it's um There's nothing sacred and morality is grounded in nothing sacred. And so this focuses, this whole book focuses on that third type of world because we went from pagan uh, and mythologies way back then to religions and religious cultures and religious societies all the way to this third type of world, which he, which Carl Truman actually describes as anti-culture. And it seeks out to deliberately destroy worlds one and world two. Um, so mythological pagan religious worlds they're the target okay right and so with this the how how world three destroys the other worlds is what 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 they call death works and that's what Mm -hmm. we're going to be focusing on and that's what will kind of talked about with each of these selves there were certain works throughout history written by people or made by people it can be poetry a novel uh um, like Freud wrote psychology books it could be any of that. Those are death works because they basically destroy an idea of the world one or two.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So then he, for are to kind of trace the history of how this has gone. A helpful way to look at it is sort of tracing the self from first being a, a psychologized self. That's kind of the first movement. Then we move to the self being a romanticized self, then a plastic self. Than a sexual self and we'll go through kind of trace the history of how that's happened but first we talk about uh the psychologized self how the how this how the vision of the self became internalized and psychologized mm. and the figure that carl truman kind of hones in on is a philosopher named jean-jacques rousseau and this thinker is somebody who yeah, believed very strongly that the external world was simply a, a hindrance was trying to stifle uh, the inner self, and how liberation or salvation is found in your inner self coming out and your inner self being free from external restraints uh and that we're actually inherently good at root. humanity is good. I think it's his quote as man is born free, but everywhere he's in chains I'm pretty sure that's john John Jacques Rousseau. I'm not totally I sure be? I don't know and is born free and everywhere he is in chains, yes. That's John Jeffers. Okay. So that, that quote man is born free. So he's good. He's innocent. He's born good. So this is literally opposite to the Christian worldview, (laughs) but man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains, meaning everything around him is restraining him, his, his inner freedom. And so freedom is found when you actually realize what your inner self is and you let that come out Mm -hmm. and, and you're liberated from restraint. So you can see sort of, how we are at this is way back. John Jacques Rousseau's you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, we can see how this started to take place already. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and the the big things about that, other than like we are essentially good, is self love, and mm-hmm. our identity is found within us. Those are the big mm-hmm. points right there, of genre okay. Jacques Rousseau and the psychological self. So that was the first step. So like, hey, everything is with us. We we should love ourselves love our identity love our psychology right um and we see this today all the time people go on like journeys of self-discovery or something mm-hmm. like that like right. I, I guarantee you that if uh if you went to ancient civilizations or people like 200 years ago no one would have gone on some self-discovery journey right right they, they might be obviously developing their identity but not in the way like this, not like I need to look inside myself and see what I am or something like that.
0: Yeah. And I've heard uh, before I move on to the romantic self, I've heard Carl Truman to illustrate the psychologized self. Um, if it would have thought he, he is the example of his grand, his granddad or his grandparent um, who is like a, like a factory worker in Britain for his whole life. And was just a blue-collar guy, and if you asked him, uh, is your job fulfilling? That's a question that people ask today. Is your job fulfilling to you? Um, he would have, again, he would have looked at you with a blank stare, like, what are you talking about? My job pays the bills. It puts food on the table for my family. It's my job. That's what I do. There, there isn't this uh, emphasis on the psychological self. How does the job make you feel? Does it satisfy your soul, something like that. Um, but today, very much so. We ask each other, does your job satisfy you? Th- is it fulfilling? That's a very common term. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just evidence of where we're, 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 where we're at as a society when we ask each other that sort of question. Does your job fulfill you? Um, yeah, That would have been sort of a weird question, I think, to ask maybe your great-great-grandparent.
1: Yeah. And that's also not to say that people don't have Specific talents or gifts gifts that they should use it's not saying that you don't have a job you should do because you're really good at it it's Mm. just saying um, like we aren't focusing on the idea that oh I have this job and I'm not super happy with it so I'm just gonna quit and find another job until I am happy that's the problem the problem isn't like hey I was meant to be a writer because I have this gift of writing and I'm super good at it. No, if you have a mm-hmm. if you have a talent like that, go for it. Um and honestly, if you were given that gift in the Christian worldview, that's probably what's going to help like fulfill you if we are talking about fulfillment, if God designed you mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but right if we're really just picking things on how we feel, like, oh, this makes me feel happy, I'm yeah. I'm gonna pick that. That's the problem we have.
0: Right. And and it's important to realize that this isn't um this isn't like it's not like this suddenly came into being or came into existence, this way of thinking all of a sudden. So like there is, I mean, Paul talks about his inner self, psych, his, psych, mm-hmm. his psychology, um, oh, wretched man that I am. I want to do the things that I can't do. I, I I do the things I don't want to do, the things that I hate. That's a very psychological way of talking about oneself or even Augustine in his confessions. Mm-hmm. It's very much a, a psychology, um, kind of a, a psychologized vision of himself. The point, though, way back then is that they had an understanding of my inner desires need to be conformed to God's law, and they're not. They're actually wrong. They're sinful. Uh, My inner desires aren't what should be my North Star guiding principle for my life because they're often kind of twisted. Hmm. And so the shift that's taken place is the fundamental understanding that your inner desires are just right, whatever they are. They must be right. There's nothing Hmm. external to conform to. So that's really where the, where the difference has taken place. So, Samuel, maybe you want to talk about the romantic self or the romantic period of culture yeah. and how that changed our vision of the self.
1: Yeah. So, the romantic period. This is where a lot of a lot of literature came out, actually. Um, so, this is people ex- very very much expressing their feelings. Okay. So it'd be like an express... This is kind of where the hallmark of expressive individualism kind of came from, right? Um, Because that's what the romantics did. Whatever looked right, whatever felt right, they needed to do. They needed to express. Um, It was kind of like a... uh, Carl Truman calls it some kind of like therapy culture. It makes you... Something that makes you feel good. That's what culture should be doing. And also there was this idea of being unashamed, okay? Hmm. So... In uh, in the romantic self, you'll in that period you'll get plenty of writers expressing their ideas and themselves, and there is no shame in it. It'll just be out there, and they're Mm -hmm. kind of trying to break down norms with this. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's an attack on traditionalism and oppressive institutions and stuff like that. And so that's uh that's what the uh, the romantic self is now. Do you, do you by chance have uh, off the top of your head, the, the people that Truman uses for the romantic period?
0: Yeah. He talks about Wordsworth or Wordsworth, Blake and Shelley. Uh, So those are three kind of early romantic figures that, Mm. so I think one of them is Percy Shelley. Um,
1: all all poets by the way, I believe.
0: Yeah, these are poets. And basically they are, um, people who take the philosophy of someone like John Jacques Rousseau and then kind of popularize it into culture and have it bleed down into culture by way of the arts. So often it's not um, culture, like the cultural uh, morals of the day are not formed by somebody simply listening to a philosopher and then becoming like that. It's often philosophy like philosophy and the, and the Academy and the intellectual elites. And then that bleeds down into the arts or music or poetry and the things that we consume in culture. And then we are fed our worldview by that. So today our worldviews are much more fed by people that we see on Instagram and the people that we encounter on social media. But those have downstream ramifications from earlier, you know, higher up thought.
1: Yeah. And because we have become the romantic self and the Mm -hmm. psychologized self and stuff like that, people are actually starting to realize that evangelism needs to be done this way because um, since we made that shift, people can't just start with truth. They, yeah. they should be starting with, with beauty. Um, so if, if like one of the big ideas from these romantic poets, so Blake, per, uh, Percy Shelley, all, all of them, their idea was we have to first change people, people's desires and then the intellect will follow. That's what they thought. So they kind of like flipped it because before, especially in Greek thought, it's it was thought that the will and the desires will follow the intellect after you've apprehended something. And they kind of flipped it. So they started changing people's desires first. And so um, right. I think Bishop Robert Barron talks a ton about beauty, but he thinks uh, we should start with beauty. So maybe we should do what they did, have these intellectual elites start influencing the arts so it bleeds down and we feed people to the, the christian worldview but
0: yeah just yes, just thought certainly in a world uh that is so influenced by the arts and beauty certainly christianity can do good and they're apologetic to actually tap into the objective beauty that does exist in the christian world so i definitely agree there next uh-huh. we kind of go into uh, what's called the the plastic self or the malleable self. And these all build off each other. There's a lot of overlap. Um, but the key figures here of the plastic self are really uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, Karl Marx, and Charles Darwin. And mm-hmm. the influence that these three figures have is massive. Uh, Nietzsche has this idea of basically like a will to power. Um, you just need to self-will whoever you are. And the most... Uh, liberating thing you can do or be is to simply like a self-made person Um, Mm -hmm. and kind of rising above cultural norms, cultural restraints, cultural boundaries, and just becoming um, the the most self-willed person you could be. And then, of course, Marx kind of builds off that as well and has uh, an even more pessimistic view of cultural institutions and traditions like religion and things Mm -hmm. like that and then the underlying philosophy of darwin as well of we're ultimately just animals and we can be whatever we want to be yeah these all build these all build off each other and this is called the plastic self
1: yeah and the idea is that we're malleable we can be changed so Karl marx he saw people being changed because of capitalism right Mm -hmm. and that's he became an enemy of capitalism obviously but he saw, he saw that. So one of the, one of these big ideas where, uh, people actually can be changed. And then Darwin, he obviously has evolution and people evolved. Um, so in that view, also people are malleable and can be changed. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: even from right here, we can start to see where it's going. Like things are focused inwardly. We, we, we self love, we find our identity within ourselves We need to express ourselves unashamed, uh, unashamedly, uh, and then finally we can actually change ourselves. All right. And so if we find an identity and we want to express ourselves, and it's not this outward and our outward person doesn't match, we can change it. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. And so these are all kind of building off of each other. Then finally we get sort of the maybe the most unique expression of it today. Uh, but this is the, the, the sexualized self. Uh, and this kind of comes from Freud and other figures, but Freud and the people coming after him. Um, uh, what's the guy's Freud name? Kinsey, I think. And then there's the the Kinsey guy that was, that yes. was very, 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 very creepy. Yeah. Uh, but basically the root is this sort of sexual understanding of the human person that basically our driving force everything that we do is driven by different kind of innate sexual desires that we have that are formed in our infancy or in our youth things like that and mm-hmm. it is ultimately just a sexual understanding of the human person and that the sexual is primary and it basically identifies the self with your sexual desires so whatever your mm-hmm. sexual desires are that's who you are and this is a very dangerous way of understanding the human person that our culture yeah. has bought in like hook line sinker. Yeah. Um, whatever you are is whatever thing you're attracted to sexually.
1: Yeah. So our identity is found within. We need to express mm-hmm. ourselves from within. And we need yeah. to change ourselves to what's within. And the question then becomes, what is within? And for the sexual self, Freud and Kinsey say it's uh it's that we're a sexual being. That's what's deepest and truest inside of us is this sexual desire. So we could totally see how all of that now came to today to where people now think that are their identities, their sexual orientation or something like that. So yeah. an- another thing with this one really quick is that the um, Truman points out a kind of like a contradiction in this mm-hmm. is to be happy, we need to have uh, sexual gratification, but we can't ever actually be happy then because um, we need civilization to an extent, but in civilization, there's always going to be some type of institution or structure with
0: some type of rules binding people. Right. Right. And so ultimately, that's, that's kind of uniquely Freudian. He says that um, because we have these social constraints that are necessary, our sexual selves will never be fully realized. Therefore, we can never be truly happy. That's Freud. But then post-Freud, post-Freudian thinkers just kind of blow open everything. And the cultural restraints are bad. They're not necessary. We need to just accept all sexual um, desires as equally fine. And so therefore, we get kind of a uh, a, politis- a politiz- politicization, that's hard to say right now, mm-hmm. of sexuality. Or basically, we need to use political power in order to liberate sexual identities or sexual uh, tastes that people have. And we need to use power, basically political uh, oppression or whatever. Um, People are being politically oppressed in that their sexual desires are being restrained, so therefore they need to be liberated from that. Mm -hmm. And culture needs to conform to whatever sexual desire. And that's where we are today.
1: Yeah, and so... What we get here for the politicization is yeah. identity, since it's inner, means that victimhood is now psychological, which is why we get like words of violence. We get like the idea that we should control our language. We shouldn't um, be mean to people. We have to accept people because that's now like how someone is a victim because it's the true personal self. So oppression is emotional now, right? Yeah. And everything is becoming public. So um, our sexual orientation and identity must be publicized because it connects to our very identity and we have to be known by people in society. Like that's a deep thing for for us as human beings is we have to know people and we have to be known. And so if sex is our identity, then people have to know our sexual identity.
0: Right. And now sort of, Tracing that history that we've kind of gone over, these different ways in which the the sense of the of the self or the understanding of the self has shifted. Talk about psychological, romantic, plastic, Mm -hmm. sexual. Now, sort of the like the zenith or the the high point of all of this stuff is today in things like pornography and transgenderism. Maybe are the two most like blatant expressions of where we're at in the culture. With pornography, we've divorced sex from any sort of responsibility any sort of sense of the family um or reproduction Mm -hmm. or sacredness and so now Mm -hmm. sex is simply a recreation to make me feel good that's all that sex is Mm -hmm. and pornography makes this kind of forces this upon us and makes this just this very shallow view of sex seep Mm -hmm. in everywhere and then of course in transgenderism we have um sort of the height of expressive individualism, the Mm -hmm. height of the sexual understanding of the self. And so I would say like pornography and transgender, transgenderism, which is so prevalent everywhere. Both of those things. uh, Yeah. Sort of the high point of this whole sense of the self shifting.
1: Yeah. And so with eroticism, so sex like is liberation and frees us. The, the big thing with that is, yeah, the family has become authoritarian, like the traditional family. So it's bad. It's oppressive. And then also with pornography, pornography is the worst of it because it now allows someone to be sexually gratified, but also in a very private way. Um, So um, people can actually get this like liberation, even though pornography is actually like a horrible thing. Mm -hmm. And with transgenderism, there is actually an internal contradiction, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So there, there is that problem, but what has arrived then is because the family is authoritarian and there's these oppressive structures, to say that I'm attracted to the same sex presupposes that there's set sexes, right? Mm-hmm. And so now feminism and transgenderism are kind of like going against each other. That and transgenderism says that gender is fluid, but in order to say I'm attracted to the same sex, it, has to somewhat be static, yeah, um, and not fluid, and so there's just there's a whole mess of intellectual, um, yeah, contradictions basically.
0: Yeah, and I think that this is, sorry, but kind of interrupted. But I think that this is where you can see we're maybe at sort of a cultural breaking point, where at some point this stuff can't hold together. This is sort of a house of cards when you have such internal contradictions within the same movement. Let's say the LGBTQ movement. Um, the inherent contradiction between like, gay or lesbian groups and transgenderism are just abounding. And then you talked about feminism transgenderism as well. One presupposes that gender is whatever you want it to be. It's a malleable choice. But the other presupposes that there's fixed genders that you can be attracted to. And there's two. Even bisexuals presupposes two sexes. Um, and then we've talked about how feminism and transgenderism at root don't go together. So... Mm-hmm. We're kind of at a breaking point, I think, in society a little bit where something has to give. Something will give at some point.
1: Yeah. And what else? Another thing that's made it horrible is the the therapeutic so the confusion between opinion and fact, right? Mm-hmm. That's being confused, but it's also um it's entered the court system and uh basically the institutions. And if and that just makes things worse if there's a confusion between opinion and fact. So now we get all this stuff in the court systems, in the legal systems, and we have a bunch of like anomalies of things happening, like um for example, like people uh, I don't know i guess I guess I would just say like uh, maybe even transgenderism with kids, like opinions and facts are kind of being uh messed up, and so we now may be allowed to like just let a kid do whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let a kid change their gender or you know, right. or whatever um so it's pretty bad i would say
0: yeah absolutely mm-hmm. um yeah so kind of now thinking about all this how does how does the church respond to this and this is kind of a helpful way that this article kind of summarized a little bit of this mm-hmm. we'll try to link that below as well uh, so you can go read it but how does the church now respond to all these shifting things in culture how can we be how can we be faithful as a church in wake of what i think will will at some point be a cultural breaking point where just everything mm. just snaps. And I think that there are two things to kind of key in on every movement, every cultural or philosophical shift has good and bad elements to it. Often they are uh, over corrections from an mm. extreme. And so take individualism or expressive individualism. There are good things within it. So he lists two things. One is, The dignity of the individual person, human dignity, is actually treated very highly in these different cultural movements. Uh, The idea of the individual is is thought of very highly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That's something we can actually key in on as the church. Two is authenticity. So our culture is obsessed with authenticity. The church is obsessed with authenticity, being authentic, being your authentic self. Now, obviously, we think that this goes too far in culture. But there is a grain of truth that is being probably emphasized to an extreme, but being authentic is a good thing. Nobody likes a phony. Nobody likes a fake person. Uh, Authentic faith is good, not just merely external action, but actual internal heart change. That's authentic. Mm -hmm. So there's things that we can grab onto as Christians or as the church that we can hone in on. We know people value dignity. They value authenticity, Mm -hmm. things like that. We can see how the gospel fulfills those things in unique ways.
1: Mm-hmm. And I would say that on top of that, this, this leads us to things we must think through as Christians. So mm-hmm. obviously dignity and authenticity is elevated, which is good, but yeah, now we have issues we have to think through as Christians. One of them being LGBTQ plus, uh, we have sexual uh, morality we have gay marriage that we have to think through and religious freedom we now have issues that have come up in all of these areas that really haven't um come up before I would e- even say so for example with like transgenderism and the lgbtq plus um we uh actually in in the article we're gonna link below that kind of helped us frame give a framework for this whole discussion uh he he writes that gender reassignment is the exorcism of the mother hmm. um as in we kind of get rid of the mother figure when we have gender reassignment like uh kind of the mother messed up and doesn't actually like create this human and give them this uh this assigned sex in in, in a way mm-hmm. so there, there's that but now we have to think through these these issues we have to think through it. transgenderism as christians Um. Mm-hmm. And, and the church is tasked with, with that. And so uh, with that, we have how churches should respond. So those are the issues we have to think through. But now, how should we respond? Will, would you like to
0: talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I think one of the primary ways that individual Christians and the church, both in the way we speak, the way we act, I think we should be able to put forward a better view of the human self or the human person. A actual, true, authentic Christian vision of the human person, mm-hmm. uh, who what your identity is, is something we can put forward very strongly to culture as just a simply a richer, more deep, better, more dignifying understanding of what the human person is. Mm-hmm. I would like to like if I was speaking to somebody who is like struggling with their sexual identity or something like that. I want to like forcefully say that you are more than your sexual your sexual desires. Uh, your identity is more than simply who you're attracted to. That is a very insignificant part of you, ultimately. To base your entire life around who you want to sleep with, and that—that's your entire identity. That's not a good life to live. You are much more. You have much more dignity and value as a human person than simply your sexual desires. That is not who you are. As simply your whole person. So I would say that the Christian church needs to present a much more rich understanding of the human identity the human person that you are a a creation of God, your offspring, Mm -hmm. you're the the offspring of God, the creator, uh, supposed to be an image bearer of him. One who's supposed to, um, take dominion over the earth and to care and steward for God's creation. There's some, such a rich understanding of the human person in Christianity that we can tap into here. Mm -hmm. So we need to put forward a better vision of the human identity. Uh, another thing that's related to this. Well, one, do you have any thoughts on that first? Then I want to share something else. Uh,
1: yeah, we should like kind of um, initiate a rescue mission for mm-hmm. identity because it's being yeah. lost and hurt. Um, and that that means that Christians should be uh, should be be learning more and maybe researching and writing more about specifically a mago dei image of God, how yeah. we are made in the image of God. So Genesis, specifically the beginning of Genesis. So. Um, Right. We should really be talking about this and preaching about it and uh, studying it and sharing it with people like this is what we believe about the human person and the image of God. I think that doctrine is going to Mm -hmm. be essential in this battle.
0: Yeah, I I agree completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that might be the biggest for cultural apologetics. That might be the most important thing to recover as Christian Christianity is putting forth the true vision of the imago Dei, the image of God who we are as image bearers and mm-hmm. simply re- realizing that the identity that God gives us as his human beings, the, the crown of creation, the crown of his creation, the identity that he has given us fixed, male, female, a son of God, or a daughter of God is mm-hmm. a far greater identity than something we could come up with. I think people mm-hmm. start to realize that, that he's given us a better identity than we could, than we ourselves could form. I think of womanhood, how our culture thinks it's exalting women. It thinks that it's promoting womanhood, but in reality, it's actually destroying it. We are treating, especially in the transgender movement, womanhood is treated as this mask, this superficial costume that can be put on. Um, all womanhood is, is simply changing your physical appearance, changing how you dress. It's, it's ironically falling into all of the same like silly stereotypes of what a woman is. And it's propping those back up as what a woman is simply the the outward external characteristics as what a woman is. And Christianity womanhood is so much uh, richer, deeper, um, far better mm-hmm. and not something that can simply be extricated by taking a, taking a pill or chopping off something. Uh, mm-hmm. Your womanhood runs. I've heard John Piper talk about how your womanhood runs down to every single piece of dna in your body every single cell uh like resounds with with god's design for who you are as a woman you can't simply change it by cutting something off um Mm -hmm. so Christianity needs to put forward this this vision of who we are
1: yeah and also right and wrong we have Mm -hmm. to push this idea that there is actually right and wrong because morality is uh now a Fluid landscape, we could say. It changes all the time. It can be changed. Uh, Just like identity, we could also say that morality has become psychologized. All right. So um, the Bible, along with rescuing identity, should also rescue morality um, Mm -hmm. because the Bible believes in that. And the church needs to stay strong with it because it's an essential idea of Christianity.
0: right.
1: Um, and then the third one and, and, and final one we would say is church family providing community and good community for people. All right. Cause, uh, if people actually want to be known and they think the best way to do that is, um, expressing their sexual selves in society, we need to show them that that's not the best way to be known. The best way to be known is to be part of the church family, family of God, be a child of God with brothers yeah. and
0: sisters. Yeah. Amen. Mm. So we've kind of sketched out a lot of stuff. Um, There's so much more stuff that the book covers. That's why it's 400 pages and not a 45 minute podcast, but um, uh-huh. we've tried our best to sketch out some of this stuff Um and to show how we've got to where we are as a culture, how the statement I'm a traps inside. I'm a man trapped inside of a woman's body is a very serious statement today. Um, How we've gotten there and how the church should respond in light of that. So this has been the contemplating Christian. If you've enjoyed it at all, feel free to to look in the description for ways you can support us. And we appreciate your time watching. If you've watched Mm -hmm. to the end of the video, feel free to tell us. And uh, we appreciate it very much. So Mm -hmm. thank you all and God bless.
1: God bless.